Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. Our guest today is Karen Duffy, and you might recognize her as a former MTV VJ. That's where I first recognized the name and her face, but she's actually a best-selling author as well. And she was in Dumb and Dumber. And she has a new book out called Wise Up, Irreverent Enlightenment from a Mother Who Has Been Through It. Now she has written books in the past, one of which was called Backbone. And she talks about her chronic illness, which is called sarcoidosis. And it's it's not well known in the in the country. The only reason why I had heard of it is I have two friends who actually have sarcoidosis, and it is a chronic condition that causes a lot of pain. So she has learned to live with the pain. And in this book, she talks about, she writes letters to her son, Jack, and they're like love letters. But she talks a lot about the philosophy of the Stoics. And I was very unfamiliar with that. So I learned a lot about philosophy reading this book. And they have a tradition of writing letters. The Stoics believe that if you make beautiful choices, you will make a beautiful life. And that's such a beautiful way to think about life, don't you think, Bridget? Oh, my goodness. Her positivity is, it's just, it's contagious. Just even through the screen, it is contagious. And what a great message. I mean, she is dealing with debilitating pain. I mean, chronic pain all the time. And that the way that she has chosen to live her life throughout that pain and then share with us in these books how to do that and these these really wonderful messages that she shares. Just lovely, lovely person. And just, I'm so grateful that she shares this wisdom. And boy, is she a smart person. The value in the books of not just talking about being a mom about to be an empty nester, of course, anyone in this demographic can relate to that. But just the wisdom, she said, I could be bitter. I could be angry about being in pain, but I choose to make beautiful choices. And that's resonated so much because I think at this stage of life, everybody's in transition. And we can make choices in our lives that we aren't used to having to make because usually we're making choices for everyone else's lives. And so she really had us stop and think about what is important, how you can make a beautiful life. She is now also producing. So she's she's very busy. And I love hearing women of our demographic doing what they love, doing joyful things, pivoting. And I really love, and you're going to hear her talk about this, what she does for her friends when they are going through the change of life, the way she celebrates that. So make sure that you stay tuned and listen to that. I know. And I just want, if Karen, if you're listening and and she does say she listens to our show. So thank you for that. We love when we hear people enjoying the show. I'm six and a half months in, I've got another five and a half, but if I make it, I'm just, you know, I'm expecting to see that special gift. (laughs) Hanging outside my, just around my door, if possible. I'm kidding. No pressure. No No. pressure. Okay. The pressure's on me. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll come through. Just saying, Bridget, you know, you could totally. And we also wanted to remind you guys that we like to just let you know about past episodes that we've done. We have over 150 episodes that you can just go to any podcast platform and listen to. So I'm going to recommend one today, and it's going to be one of our other favorite people, Carla Hall, 
who we did an episode back February 10th, 2021. We had no idea how much we were just going to absolutely fall in love with her and everything she does. But we talk about midlife. We talk about menopause. We talk about the fact that she does not go anywhere without her fan. She will not go to bed without a fan. Even if she's traveling, she get, buys one. She finds the nearest target. She gets that fan. We talk about what she's doing, what she thinks about midlife. And it's a, we laugh. She's so funny. So that episode is episode 30 of season two. It's February 10th, 2021. So you will remember her from Top Chef as well as The Chew. And she does all of the cooking shows for, you know, the um, competitions for Halloween and Christmas. And I, I, I literally watch her from about October through December on the Cooking Channel. So with that, make sure to check out this video on vitalseed.com. That is our partner who is hosting our video episodes. Previous episodes of the podcast, we have a YouTube channel, Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. But recent episodes, I'd say in the last month or so, you can check out on vitalcy.com. They will have all of our videos and much more on travel and all those other fun things. So with that, we're going to let Karen take over. Enjoy. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. And today, Bridget and I have on Karen Duffy. She's MTVJ, and she's written a New York best-selling book, Model Patient. But she has a new book out now called Wise Up, Irreverent Enlightenment from a Mother Who's Been Through It. And we are so excited to talk to her today about the book and what she's doing in her midlife and beyond. So welcome, Karen. Thank you so much. It is such a grace to be here because truly, you are in my ear holes and reside in my heart every week. I love this podcast. Thank you so much for that. It's just, it's so nice to hear that. And, and we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And I have to say, I read your book, Wise Up, and I was just, I don't know what I thought going into it, what I would learn, because it's, it's letters written to your son, Jack, but I learned more about philosophy than I ever learned in school. <laughs> so what, what prompted you to write this book? Thank you for your kind words. I've been living with a chronic illness and chronic pain for half my life. And when I realized that this pain would never stop, I didn't want it to make me mean. And I'm a really happy by lucky fly by the seat of your pants type of girl. And um, I realized that pain is inevitable. We will all feel pain, but suffering can be optional. And I found uh, the work of the school of philosophy called the Stoics. And the main thesis of Wise Up is if you make beautiful choices, you will make a beautiful life. So I wrote this book. It was really over the years. It was a collection of essays. And I was just filling it with all these random facts and astounding stories. And I just wanted the reader to feel loved. So I asked my son, Jack, who's a teenager, I said, I thought if it, there's a stoic tradition where you write books in letters. And I said, can I address these chapters as letters to you? And he said, yes, but please don't use my nickname. Use my real name because I'm proud of you. So my goal was to have this incandescent, radiant love just radiate off the page. Well, it definitely did that. I um, was just curious if you could just share a little bit about sarcoidosis. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly yeah. with our listeners and a little bit just about 
what you've been through and you talk about chronic pain versus your acute pain, chronic pain, and then, you know, how this all came about and your letters are just, you know, your, your essays to your son are so touching. Well, thank you. Um, sarcoidosis is a inflammatory disease of unknown origin. It affects about 250,000 Americans. And because of the sarcoidosis, it creates granulomas. So I have, it's like a, a tumor, but they're like crystallized. So I have a large one in my um, brainstem. My doctor's Italian. He says, it's the size of a mustacholi, um, <laughs> which is like a rigatoni. But your skull is a contained area. So as this lesion grew, it crushed all the nerves. And, and so nerves in your, don't often rewire. So I realized that I was going to have to mourn for my old life and figure out a whole new life. And uh, I've been trying to use my voice as an advocate because I live with an invisible illness and pain is invisible. And often when you see someone who identifies as chronically ill, they often look great. And it is really it's it, that's maybe that's an upside but it is a real challenge it's like waking up in the morning and then picking up a refrigerator and then having to carry it all day and then when you're in bed it's on top of you so it never stops so I had to find a way to peacefully cohabitate with this illness so often with chronic illness we use these warlike metaphors like you know you're gonna beat this we're gonna blast it we're gonna fight it with all you have and I think I'm a lover not a fighter and I just didn't want a lot of warlike metaphors in my head so in a way uh wise up is a love letter to life and it's for where I am no matter where I am I am grateful for every day that's incredible. You know, I've had two people in my life who actually have have sarcoidosis, which oh. is very unusual. Um, it actually, I used to teach Pilates and one of my students, they thought she had lung cancer and it ended up the lesions in her lungs were sarcoidosis and another friend, it affected his heart. And with both of them, it took forever to get diagnosed. There was a million other things. Can you talk about that journey to diagnosis? Because you were living, you were an MTV VJ, you were in the public eye, and then it just sidelined you. Can you talk about that journey? It, truly, this had been growing for years and years, but at the point where it got so big that it destroyed the nerves. It felt like I was just being struck by lightning. And I was working for MTV. I was making films. I was also the Charlie girl for Revlon. And uh, it did take about four years to get a full diagnosis of exclusion, which means it doesn't present as other ways. So the way I look at it is everybody has something and I know, no, I know what mine is. And it has been a challenge to create a whole new life. I mean, I'm no longer insurable on film, so I've had to switch to producing. Um, but all of these choices have been rooted in how I can be useful. I mean, every day we have a choice. We can be useful or useless. 
So I try to be useful. And again, in many small ways, there are times when truly I can't leave the house for many days because true wind can be so painful. I mean, it's like getting a root canal. That's what it feels like. So I focus on what I can do rather than lamenting what I cannot. You know, another thing that, and I read your other book, Backbone, um, another thing that you mentioned that is so important to for women of our age, or really anybody, is how uh, you, if you don't get diagnosed or if you don't find the right doctor, how to move on to another doctor. And I know that it, it took you, how long did, how many did you go through to really figure out, you said four years, but how long, how much did you go through? Well, multiple doctors, different hospitals. And, uh, I just created a team and I, I found a woman, um, who is a psychologist and she studies the psychology of illness in women. Again, I didn't want to get mean. I didn't want to feel sorry for myself. I feel so grateful for every day. And so it was, a uh, an obstacle and it's often Marcus Aurelius said the obstacle is the way often what is impeding us can inspire us to find a new way so um, I found this great doctor and and I had her I said could you just be like the team captain and then this way the neurologist the pulmonologist uh, the pain specialists um, uh, they can all kind of talk you know what I'm what medicines I'm on and that was incredible I mean she didn't have to do it for long but going to her in a way helped me. I didn't want to fall into a hole and not be able to get out. And she gave me some tools and uh, I'm trying to share that um, and talking to the world through books. Well, in the book, you're very clear that you talk about Stoic philosophy, Greek philosophy a lot. And one of the tenets is that we can't control what happens. We can only control how we respond. And that's really what you seem to be saying. You know, like I said before, you write this book in kind of love letters to your son to like stages of life. And each one kind of has a new, not new nickname because you weren't using his mm-hmm. nicknames, but different title to it. And the first part of it really talks about him getting a life philosophy. Why do you think it's so important for him to have a life philosophy? You know, um, in our family, um, breakfast is the time when we're all together. My son's involved in sports. My husband works. So breakfast is the time I make a hot meal. We're all together. And if he doesn't want to talk, he's a teenager. I have philosophy books and the sports pages. And I really found that the idea of having a life philosophy and especially stoic philosophy, it has been a scaffolding that has held me up. And there's a spiritual equation that said life is about 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. And I wanted my son to be awake to uh, these ideas. And it's, you know, books are not just lifeless lumps of paper. They are radiant entombed minds. And so uh, it's a way to kind of connect. So I love when 
Jack and I are talking and sometimes he'll be like, well, you know, mom, as Aristotle said, worry is misuse of the imagination. So please don't worry about that. I mean, that just ignited Greek fire in my heart. That it is so amazing. And it's that whole reaction. It's, it's, I'm 54 years old. I'm like, how did it take me that long to realize that? Cause I think I'm just now realizing that it is my response and my reaction to how things happen. If something happens or somebody says something, what they say is what they've said and the way you react. And I'm like, why could I not? I'd heard it, but I never understood it until I got to around this age. That's absolutely true. I love how Marcus Aurelius said, like, the best way to deal with an adversary is to just not be like them. And that is so, that's what I love about Stoic wisdom. It is so easy and practical. It was written 2000 years ago, but it reads as if it's still wet. And, um, it has been such a gift. And again, just having this simple thesis of if you make beautiful choices, you will make a beautiful life, which is a stoic belief is just, uh, I just put gas in my tank every day. I think a lot of our listeners are at that stage of life where they think things are happening to them. Their children are growing up and leaving the house. They're no longer, you know, the youngest person in the room. They don't feel seen and heard. And it seems like that Stoic philosophy really, if they stop and kind of allow it to enter their heart, can really help them. And it seems like it's really helped you. Do you find that as you get older, it seems to resonate even more? Absolutely. You know, your mother is your first home. And as my son is an adolescent, you know, one of the things we spoke about, I was like, you know, Jack, mothers are so incredible that nature had to make a chemical to break our bond. And that is a combination of progesterone, estrogen in women and females and men, it's testosterone. And so there will be a time where me biting into a piece of toast will be repellent to you. And he's like, you know, mom, I don't think that's really going to happen. We, we, you know, we seem to have a really great relationship. And then one day we were uh, having dinner and he was like, oh, it happened. But it wasn't a bite of toast. It was you chomping into that cob of, cob of corn like sea biscuit. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting because life doesn't give you a manual, but it does give you a mom. And that has been our identity. And having a son who's now heading off to college soon in a way they need us in a, in a different way. And what I love, what your message is, is show up for yourself and make sure you're on your own dance card. Um, those are important lessons that I think we need in, in midlife. I also love how, again, you know, how important it is. And then I hear on your show all the time is the importance of female friendships. And you do have a set of friends that you've had since middle school. Can you talk about that and how important yes, one it lives is. right upstairs? We are a core group. And uh, yes, there's four of us and we all live in the same neighborhood in New York City. It's really interesting. Uh, the, the psychiatrist I went to, psychologist to deal with chronic illness, she said, your girlfriends are going to show up. And she said, we love men, but they, they're just a little bit behind than us. And so she said, you would 
sleep on your friend's floor and make her an English muffin if she needed it. So be awake to asking because this is a reciprocal relationship. And so having my home team has just, uh, it's been such a gift. And as Yate said, the glory is I've had such friends. And uh, I love that uh, Lord Byron said, always laugh when you can. It's good medicine. And my friends keep me laughing. And, you know, they are, and it's, it's good friends are make you a better person. So I'm so grateful. One of the things that in this discovery, in writing this book, was the discovery of the ancient Greeks had many types of love. Like we have, you know, we just think romantic love, this idea of a soulmate, but they believed that actually erotic romantic love was destabilizing, but they felt that like philia, which was the brotherly love or agape, the love for all mankind or philatulia, which is the self-love pragma, which is the deep love and companionship or ludos is the jokey love. I love that they have expanded this technique taxonomy of ways to love where in popular culture we seem to be helpless and that like love is kind of picked by wearing a hogwarts sorting hat so i love that uh there is if we can expand our vocabulary and our definitions for love and that's so true especially you know as we get older sometimes the friendships or relationships or marriages that we have had no longer serve us. And we've spoken to experts that, that separating from friends is it's you, there's a grief process there too, because there's not always, they're not always connected the way you were when you were younger. But the fact that you've been able to go through since middle school and journey together, although everybody's journey is different, it's so important to have that person that you can call and say, Oh my gosh, I'm really going through this. I'm having a hard time or guess what just happened and feel that joy. So it's so important. It's true. And what's so beautiful is that friendship is purely voluntary. We're showing up on a volunteer basis. Uh, It is not, there's not a, a social contract like a domestic partnership or a marriage. So I've been friends with Lori Lynn and Greg since seventh grade. Lori lives upstairs. And sometimes I'll say, Oh, John, I miss Lori. And he's like, how is that possible? You guys went to junior high, high school. You went to college together. You lived together till you got married. And then we all live in the same apartment building. It's a big apartment building, but I can see her terrace from across the from out my window. Um, but it's, it's important to, yes, value those friendships. But I was mistaken when I thought that loyalty was a virtue. And yes, there is a grieving process because sometimes, um, you know, a friend can be a unhealthy, uh, toxic presence in your life. And we have to love ourselves enough to create boundaries. And so, yes, I talk about having to weed my social garden. And that took me a long time till mid-age to understand that that was not me being weak. It was actually me being strong for myself and not tolerating uh, somebody who was showing repellent behavior. You also, you know, kind of along those lines, you also talk in the book 
which I was not from, obviously I know what paranoia is, but I was not familiar with pronoia, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is actually the world is conspiring for you as opposed to against you. And I loved that. That was like an underlying kind of asterisk star moment in the book because you, you go on to talk about there's low levels of happiness and there's high levels of happiness. And for women in our demographic, like I said before, so many things are happening to us that we think they're happening against us instead of for us to lead us in a new direction. And I would love if you could talk a little bit more about that. Absolutely. I think that um, the idea that it's just a shift of thinking, like in discovering this idea of the opposite of paranoia is pronoia. I was like, okay, well then I'm going to try and look for that. And I think when you look for things in your life, you will find them. And having the idea of that, you know, life isn't all about fanfare. It's not all surprise parties and weddings and birthdays and Christmases. It's really in the beautiful, small, everyday moments that we actually accumulate and create a beautiful life. I um, was at an event and... um, I heard um, President Biden speak and he spoke about purpose and he said, in life to find our purpose, we need something to love, something to do and something to look forward to. And I think if you look forward to opportunities or uh, moments of grace, how can I be of service? I think that will enhance your life. And um, it's, it's important to be awakened to the idea that we have control. Again, we can't control what happens, but we control how we respond. We're always so paranoid that things are happening that are like going to be bad to us. We never think of, oh, what is the world trying to say to lead me in a new direction? And that's happening so much in midlife and beyond. And if we could embrace that more, what a gift it would be for a lot of people. You also talk about small act of small acts of kindness and how important it is for your son to learn about that. Can you talk a little about that? Well, in our family, we service was a part of our family commitment. It's interesting. Our family, we have uh, a tradition where we pick a motto to live by and we don't make a big deal. It's not ceremonial. You know, one must pitch it out. And right now it's from Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, write it on your heart that every day is the best day of the year. And he also said, nothing great in life has ever been accomplished without enthusiasm. So I try to show my son how I work as a mentor and have inspired him. You know, he's becoming a mentor um, because he enjoys it. I don't expect him to follow and do everything the way that my husband and I do. He's finding his own way. But, you know, Muhammad Ali said, service is the rent we pay for living life on earth. And so I believe that acts of service are truly an act of, it reflects back on us. It is what we do for others is actually becomes a kindness to ourselves. 
And it can be just any small thing. Like you said, it doesn't have to be something grand as it can be, <laughs> you know, if you want to volunteer for something, but just, I think you've been like just giving somebody a water bottle that might be too hot, you know, in the street, just anything to help. And it's amazing when you do this little act of kindness for somebody, their reaction to it. And then it's like, now all these things are better. Your you feel better. They feel better. And your, your energy for that day or however long, you're just a little bit better for doing I believe it. that we're high, hardwired. This is a part of us. I think we, um, we are social animals. From um, My son's birthday, it was a really hot day. And we've got a t I, I can't drive anymore. So he takes a Fiat. And we went and got cases of Gatorade and just drove around to road workers and handed them out. And he was shy and he was like, oh, this is kind of crazy. But it's something that he talks about, not frequently, but he was like, uh, he goes, I thought you were a crackpot. I thought it was a really cockamamie idea, but it's something that I learned that I thought it, it was, it was, he said, I was embarrassed to start. But once you give that first one, the response, the first guy we gave it to him, he said, Ooh, this is going to go down nice. And now anytime we take a drink, we say that. And so that, again, that's part of our, what's called a familect, the nicknames we call each other, the shorthand you have in your house, like the quotes that you use are all part of your familect, your family vocabulary. And um, we learned that one from a very hot day and taking an opportunity. Now you have a son who's getting ready to leave for college. How are you dealing with that transition? I've been preparing for this for 18 years. Um, and, you know, when you look at life as an actuarian, you know, you only have kids, little, really little kids for four years. And then you get 18 summers with them. And what I see, my son's in boarding school and uh, he's an athlete. And um, he, while he's been away for four years already, he is on the windowsill, ready to go. And I couldn't be happier because that means I did my job right. I always said like, you know, if you just moved into our basement, that, that wouldn't, then, then I might've mis, misread a few things. But the fact that you are so ready to go, it's interesting. Um, one of my, uh, Seneca said that every new beginning comes at some other beginnings end. And so he's getting ready to graduate. And I was, I saw him at a race this weekend and I said, you know, just very briefly, we saw each other and I said, you know, there's a new word that I found and it, it's called finifugal. And it means the fear of endings. And as you get ready to leave your school and leave your friends and leave this brotherhood, there is this idea that sometimes it can be painful and sad. And so people may be acting out in ways and it is because they don't know how to handle feeling unsteady. I um, am a hospice chaplain. And when I was in chaplaincy school, one of the things I took away was they always said, be mindful of how you end things because every ending is a, a little death. And this is in the Buddhist tradition. And I say goodbye on the phone as if my hair is on fire. 
I'm like, okay, goodbye. And like, literally I am terrible. Every party I do the Irish goodbye, throw the coat out the window and run out. Like I don't say goodbye. And I realized this is me being uncomfortable with saying goodbye. And I think being kind of awake to this idea, I can then tell my son, this is what it was like for me. This is why the Duffy family has a history of like hanging up mid sentence and just be aware that this is a time where big transitions, they're called liminal spaces. And these spaces are where big things happen. I mean, in our age and our demographic of women, we are in this amazing liminal space where essentially we are entering a whole new state of life. When a caterpillar is in a chrysalis, the caterpillar completely decomposes and then recomposes, creating these what are lyrically called imaginal cells. And so when the chrysalis cracks open and there's no longer a caterpillar, it is a butterfly, the caterpillar retains the memories like as it, when it's a butterfly it retains the caterpillar's memories so i think like these liminal spaces are unbelievably joyous uh times where we are filled with possibility and that's where i feel like i am now and my son is in a different way also uh, busy producing some yes. a new documentary and a new film talk about the documentary new worlds and the greatest beer run ever. It's funny, my son, because I have limited mobility, I would hire um, college students to come and roughhouse with them. My husband works, so, you know, so I would hire a Manny. And my son's male babysitter was a film student um, at NYU. And he's a fantastic young man, a young man I've mentored. And I was like, let's start, let's just take a few ideas. And we decided that we were only going to tell stories that were inspiring and positive. So our first film, which was called New Worlds, it's a documentary about Bill Murray when he performed with his classical quartet, at the Acropolis. It's kind of like Yanni, but cool. And um, it closed the Cannes Film Festival this year, and it'll be aired on PBS. And then our next project, again, I was out with Andrew, and I introduced him to a friend of mine who's a journalist. And he asked an amazing question. He said to my friend who's a journalist, what is the best story that you never reported on? And she told us the story about how Chicky Donahue, who was a sand hog in New York City, he had served in the military and he came back and four of his best friends were drafted into Vietnam. So he was like, you know, there's so many, you know, I don't feel like the boys are getting support the way that our fathers and uncles did in World War II. It was a different war. But he said, I'm going to go to Vietnam and bring our boys some Pap's Blue Ribbon. And so he got on a munition ship and got to Vietnam, met 
all four of his friends and then got stuck during the Tet Offensive. So um, we made a short documentary that's on YouTube called The Greatest Beer Run Ever. And it will be a theatrical film. I just saw it last week in the rough cut. It stars Zac Efron, Russell Crowe, and Bill Murray. And it will be out in the fall. And Peter Farrelly from Dumb and Dumber and the Green Book uh, wrote and directed. So what I love is that it's never too late to get smarter, to be better. And here I am in my 60th year, and I never thought that I would have, I mean, I worked very hard on on Wise Up, but I never thought that working for years on these uh, documentary project and beer run, I mean, they started in 2014, 2017. So I just always think if you don't give up, you can get anywhere you want. As you said, you're turning 60 this month, so happy early birthday. And it's just never too, you're never too old and it's never too late. And taking care of yourself and doing things that you love at this stage of life is not selfish. Well, you know, we spend so much time putting our children or our job or, you know, the dog, anybody first. And it's okay to say, no, I, I want to start discovering who I am. I want to start finding those joys, whether they be small or large. And it's okay to do that. And you are a wonderful example of that. So thank you. Skills are transferable, especially like women in our demographic. Like I think we would be amazing spies because I mean, we've been able to deal with so many unexpected experiences in life. We've got quick reflexes. We know how to care for others. uh, We know how to be safe and all skills are transferable. So what I learned when I was a kid as a volunteer at a nursing home and uh, about having clear elocution when working with people with Alzheimer's and being able to move my body so they would be able uh, to capture their attention. All those skills worked in getting me on MTV because MTV was shortening America's attention span and all these skills that I had actually worked. And then I just keep building on the skills. And so I did have a period where my son needed me a lot more, but All of those skills of showing up, of being prepared, are now coming back to me and I'm able to share with others. And also, you know, at this point in our life, we know more people, we can make more um, more connections. And so there are many gifts as we uh, hit into our amazing next chapter of life. Now I'm going to say that your next documentary should be menopausal women would make great spies. That's just, <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a good one. And, and, and we <laughs> noticed, we notice so much and people don't notice us noticing, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, that is so beautiful. You know, we often say we become somewhat less visible. Yes. Uh, and again, that is nature doing its trick a friend of mine was telling me that um that during times of where there's a a threat of danger a woman's vision the peripheral vision expands because females are always like okay where are the kids where's everybody let me gather them where a male's 
gets tunnel vision. And so I think like, gosh, this is why we make such good partners. Um, we have distinctly different biological reactions to threats, to happiness, uh, to ceremonies, and to be aware of that is the gift we give ourselves. Well, I, I just want to take it back a little bit and say, what was it like being an MTV VJ in the 90s? Because I would love to know what it was. Like. <laughs> we watched you. We were, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, I was a working at a nursing home. I loved my job as a recreational therapist. I felt I had my purpose. This was what I was great at. And I was confident and then I realized that the skill sets I had were transferable. So I made a, a, a audio tape, a videotape, sent it into MTV unsolicited on a Friday. And by Tuesday, I had my screen test. And by Friday, I was on the air. So there was no time to kind of, I just realized I'm going to use all this nervous energy and try and turn this into gratitude. And I understand that to feel nervous is natural and I'm not going to fight it. And I don't want it to be my enemy. I'm going to be friends with this anxiety and let it propel me forward. And it was so much fun. I truly felt like I snuck into a party and I was just waiting to get kicked out. And what's amazing is the friends that I made at MTV are still very, very good friends. I, I, we, we have reunions and um, it was a, you know, it was, it was so great because I viewed my job as a VJ as a fan. I wasn't an expert. I figured what I could do was use my enthusiasm for music and pop culture, but I didn't know everything. And I, I allowed that. But one trick I did do was I figured, well, who did it best? And that was Frank Sinatra. So I would go to the museum of uh, broadcasting and watch his old variety shows. And he was always dressed up. So this was during the height of grunge. So I would always make an effort to dress up, wear heels, even if you didn't, don't see my feet. And um, I just felt like putting on this uniform of something a little elegant kind of made me feel a little better. And until you kind of earn it. I think it is important that uh, we constantly challenge ourselves um, because it is never too late. And I hope that that will be the message um, because we have so much potential. We are the demographic that has the highest buying power. And I feel again, that we're somewhat invisible. We buy more books than anyone. We buy all the cars, we spend all the money and we seem to be overlooked. And that's why I, uh, my philosophy is no, I'm not going to be overlooked. I mean, I am going to try and be the best version of myself and that's all I can do. That's all I can control. And again, make good. If, if by making good choices, I can make a good life. Really looks like you have done that as well. <laughs> Thank you. One story you told us off air, which I, I'm going to ask you to tell again is your menopause awards. Yes. Can, can you talk about the fact that it's a great story? Can you tell the story? I have a son who is very athletic and there's 
a lot of trophies in the closet. So I started taking off the, uh, the plaque and then making my own. And then I've got into where I'm on eBay buying five foot tall majorette trophies. And, uh, when a friend of mine goes through menopause, I write, congratulations, you're finished period. And then send it off. And I will tell you the fun that we have passing these trophies around, they get repurposed and, uh, turning what it can be what often we fear a bit to turn it into a celebration. I mean, you know, always laugh when you can. And, um, that's been a great, a great thing is something to not be ashamed of. Um, living with chronic pain and a chronic illness, I realized it, there, it is very embarrassing to be unwell. You, there's this idea that you're extracting all these resources of worry that you're letting people down because you can no longer show up the way that you expected. And, uh, I just decided I will only feel shame if I've acted like a jackass. If I've been unkind, then I will feel shame, but I'm not going to feel shame for evolution and biology. So no, I'm going to make a trophy and I am going to honor it. And, uh, yeah, there's a few in the back room <laughs> ready to go out. What a, what a great way to recycle those trophies, exactly. <laughs> especially, especially from having children from the generation where everyone gets a trophy. <laughs> I mean, it's astounding that we get 500 cycles in our life. And we never know. It, it seems like it goes on forever. Yes. But you never want to know when the first one will descend, and nor will you know when the last one. And so uh, there is still an element of surprise. So why not embrace that and be like, oh, well, like, like, honestly, if men went through it, oh, there would be a celebration. There'd be a crown. There'd be a parade. <laughs> There'd be parties. Yeah, yes, right. exactly. Yeah. Gold watch. That's yeah. it. So I think that's what, that's going to be uh, the next project because yeah. there is so much to celebrate. And, and honestly, and not in a corny way, in a really cool way. Uh, so many of my, uh, you know, I love having intergenerational relationships and friendships and I've learned so much from the older women in my life and from the younger men and women. And um, we should not be shamed for something we have no control over. Again, going right back to Marcus Aurelius in the Stoics is we can't control what happens. So let's control how we respond. So why not respond with a chocolate cake and a trophy? Bravo. Mm. I think that's a great idea, Bridget. Yeah. In about six months, I expect okay. a large trophy. <laughs> chocolate cake? And a chocolate cake yes. at my door. That's all I'm saying. Oh, Bridget. okay. Just throwing I'll it out in the universe. <laughs> you know. But that's so great. Thank you so much, Karen, for coming on the show. We want the listeners to go check out Wise Up, Irreverent Enlightenment from a Mother Who's Been Through It. It's a great book. Check out your other books as well. And Good luck on all these new productions coming out. It sounds like the greatest beer run ever. I mean, that's so much fun. And the documentary on Bill Murray as well. You, you have a lot of fires going on. And that's, that's a wonderful thing for our listeners to know that it is never too late. You are never too old. And even when you have a challenge in your life, you can step up and find your joy, however you define that joy. 
So thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for sharing your bright light. It was truly an honor. And thank you again, truly from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much, Karen Duffy, for being on our show today. And I would recommend everybody get the book Wise Up. She was such a delight to talk to. And make sure that you follow us at hotflasheskilltopics.com. We have a website. You can catch our podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We also have Instagram. We have TikTok. We have an LTK shop. So shop.ltk and then at hotflasheskilltopics. Or if you get on LTK and you just are shop LTK, you get on it and just search Hot Flashes, Cool Topics, you'll find us. And Colleen and I share some of our favorite things that we have for us, midlife women. So make sure you check that out. And if you have a question or a topic that we have been covered and you'd like to hear about, send us an email. You can send it to hotflasheskilltopics at gmail.com and make sure that you subscribe and rate. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.